Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I am so excited to share my interview with Dr. Billy Retzlaff. Billy is a BCBA with experience in both the clinic and public school setting. And today we are talking about function-based alternatives to extinction. It's kind of a mouthful, but don't worry, we break it all down. Billy defines what extinction is and why this can be really challenging to do in a school setting, in a home setting. How from a practical perspective, we often can't truly implement extinction. And since we can't truly implement extinction, it might not work. And she shares three great alternatives that we can do instead that are still function-based and just as effective and honestly, a lot more practical to do in that real world setting. So let's go ahead and hear from Billy. Hi, Billy. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited about this topic. I think this is something that a lot of teachers, clinicians, and parents will really connect with because I, I know myself as a clinician, this is kind of a common struggle and something I've thought a lot about. So today we're going to be talking about function-based alternatives to extinction. So those listeners that aren't as familiar with what extinction means, can you kind of start us off with defining and explaining what extinction is? Yeah. So to define and kind of explain extinction, we actually have to back up a little bit and explain what we mean when we talk about function of behavior. So the function of a behavior is the purpose or the reason that behavior happens. It's what we get out of the behavior, even if we only get that thing sometimes, that makes us keep doing the behavior. 
So we're behaving for a reason, right? It's not random behavior, but we might be engaging in a certain behavior because it gets us access to attention or it's the way that we access our preferred items. Um, other common functions of behavior are to get out of things that are not preferred. So to get out of work that we have to do or an interaction that we're not enjoying. So when we understand the function of a behavior, then we can start to talk about extinction because extinction is the process by which we make a behavior stop happening because we stop letting the behavior serve its function. We stop letting the behavior get what was the reason for it in the first place. So if I have a behavior that used to get me attention, extinction is no longer getting attention for that behavior. Um, I think this is easier with an example. I was just uh, going to so, ask that. You read my mind. Yeah, yeah. So I have, I like to use kind of two ways of giving examples because I think it helps us understand that this is a really broad phenomenon. So the first is an example that might be applicable to those of us listening, the adults in the room. Um, so think I had this boss one time who really liked after we had a meeting, if I would send a summary email, kind of re-explaining what we had covered in the meeting. And so I got in the habit of always sending these summary emails after meetings because she would periodically respond to them with a thank you. Oh, this is so helpful. And she would give me lots of good praise. Um, so that was really reinforcing. It's something that I enjoyed seeing her positive feedback. And so I kept sending those emails, right, to be able to get that um, kind of reinforcement from her, get that attention. Then my boss switched. I got a new boss. And I kept sending those kind of emails because I was in the habit of it. But my boss never responded to them. I never <laughs> got any positive feedback. I never got any negative feedback either. I just didn't get any response. And so I eventually stopped sending those summary emails because of extinction. It wasn't getting me what I wanted anymore. And so then I kind of stopped doing the behavior um, and found other ways to get attention from that new boss. So that would be like an adult example. Now, if you think about a kid, um, I have a four-year-old and she kind of learned to uh, throw a little bit of a fit at bedtime when we would ask her to brush her teeth. And what I realized was it was really getting a lot of extra attention from my husband and I, because one of us would be working with her and like going through the bedtime routine and then she would throw a fit. And so then the other of us would come in there and all of a sudden it was like she was getting attention from both mom and dad. So we talked about it and we decided to try some extinction. And so when she was throwing the fit, we just started, we didn't do anything. We didn't talk to her about it. We didn't give her any extra attention and we just would wait. She stopped throwing the fit because it wasn't worth it anymore to her. It didn't pay off in the way of getting extra attention from mom and dad. Those are great examples. I like hearing kind of the adult one and the kid one, the two. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, these are processes that we're going to talk about today in terms of how, you know, we're using them for people who have behavior that's really challenging and we're trying to shape better, more um, adaptive behavior. But really, these processes are what happens to all of us every day. This is how behavior works, regardless of if you're an adult or a kid, if you have a disability or you don't. These are the processes that shape our behavior all the time. So we can kind of see how sometimes extinction could happen, you know, naturally, like in that example with the boss or in a more, you know, planned way, like with your child. So let's kind of continue this on. What could be potentially some harmful effects of extinction and why we might want to like think critically about it? 
Yeah. So there's kind of two really big reasons that we can see negative effects of extinction. So the first is probably the most talked about, and it's known as an extinction burst. So this is any parent or teacher out there who's been told it's going to get worse before it gets better. This is what they're talking about is an extinction burst. So what that means is just when you first implement extinction, so when you're first trying to break that connection between a behavior and the purpose it served, you sometimes see behavior get more extreme or more intense as the individual's trying to figure out how to get what they used to get out of it. Um, so another example here is a vending machine. So if you think about a vending machine, you're used to kind of putting your money in and you get out the snack that you wanted, the drink that you wanted, and you do that lots of different times. But one time, if you put your money in and the machine doesn't work, you might get a little frustrated and you might say some curse words or kick or hit the machine. Um, you might try to like jiggle it a little bit. That's the extinction burst. You're getting different behavior and more intense behavior because what used to work isn't working. So I love the vending machine example. I always use um, an elevator button. Like if an elevator doesn't come, we like push the elevator button harder. Like for some reason, yes. we think that'll be effective. <laughs> yes. Or like lots of times in a row. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that's like, that can be a harmful effect because you never know what kind of behavior you're going to get. You can't mm -hmm. necessarily predict exactly what that's going to look like. Um, so, you know, an extinction burst for somebody who typically is crying and maybe dropping to the floor to try to access a tangible item like an iPad. Well, when all of a sudden you don't give them that for that, they might escalate to banging their head. Mm -hmm. So you never really know what form that burst is going to take. And if you're not prepared for what that behavior looks like, that can be really dangerous, right? Yeah. So that's probably the most common um, kind of harmful effect, but I actually stray away from extinction for a different reason. Um, you can plan for extinction bursts. You can make sure you have, you know, the right people present to really help get through it safely. But the reason I don't use a lot of extinction is because it requires that it is done with such fidelity. And what I mean by that is you have to do it the right way every single time you do it for it to work really well. So, so can you give an example of what that would look like or not look like, that fidelity component? Yeah. So let's stick with a pretty easy example of a kid who learns to throw a tantrum to get access to the iPad. So we can all, if we're parents or teachers, we can kind of relate to this, I think, because we know those times that we just give in because we don't have it in us to deal with the behavior, right? Your kid throws a big tantrum and you're like, fine, just go on the iPad while I cook dinner. Like, I don't care. Just be doing something that is not problematic. So this kid learns that, right? They learn, have a tantrum, and get the iPad. Now, if I want to do extinction, what I have to do is never again give them the iPad when they're tantruming. So it might sound really easy, right? Okay, they're going to throw the tantrum, and I'm just going to keep the iPad. I'm not going to let them have it. But where we run into problems is, what about on that day where you had a really bad day at work and you're really frustrated already? 
and your other kid is also throwing a tantrum and you're like, fine, I'm just going to give in this one time. Giving in that one time has really negative effects. Not only makes it where extinction isn't in place anymore, but it actually teaches the individual to engage in more and more extreme behavior to get what they want. Um, So the problem with extinction is not the the idea of it because it does happen all the time and it is really effective for getting rid of unwanted behavior. But the problem is most of the time in real the real world, we're not ready to do extinction every single time a problem behavior happens. And so we end up giving in at some point and showing the individual, hey, this isn't real extinction. Just keep pressing until you get what you want from that mom, that dad, that teacher, whoever it is. I think especially with attention too, because it's just so, so hard, no matter how well-trained you are, to totally remove attention from a behavior. Like even as an adult, you it, it's, it's almost nearly impossible, especially in a classroom setting. A hundred percent. I have a lot of training and background in behavior, a lot of training in severe behavior, and I still feel that. You know, there are those times where you're like, how long will I have to wait this out? Um, sometimes the kid has to get to their next scheduled class or they have to get on the bus at the end of the day. And I can't just sit here and not give it attention anymore. Um, the same thing happens at home, right? Eventually I need to like move forward in our day. And so I don't always have that luxury of waiting as long as I would really need to wait for extinction to work. Yeah, exactly. So because of this like practicality component of like we can't really do it fidelity and also the safety component of that extinction burst, is this something you think that we should maybe move away from doing? And if so, what alternatives are are in place that we could use? Yeah, I think that there are still certain environments in which people will use extinction and they'll use it really well. Um, you know, behaviors that are not something that could be dangerous to somebody is a great time that maybe extinction does work or where you know you have the capacity to wait something out. But because of all of those concerns, I personally in school settings never recommend extinction. Um, And what I found is in my own life as a parent, I really don't use it either. So I do go with those alternatives. Um, And then maybe in a rare case where we just can't get any forward motion and we've tried every alternative we can think of, might we talk about, okay, what would an extinction-based plan look like? So I'm not saying never use it, but I think it should really be a last resort. In schools and in a house, it's just life is messy. There's a lot of competing contingencies and other things going on that, like you said, that practicality component of really doing it is is challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great that we have a background and a research base that tells us about extinction and what happens when we do it and how it works, because we can still incorporate those things into our alternatives. But we just we have to admit that reality when we're planning in some of these messier environments. You know, when I used to work in a more structured clinical setting, I did rely more on extinction than I do now that I work in these these messier areas, like you said. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And before we get to some of those alternative strategies, what is your kind of response to, you know, a lot of critics of ABA that saying, you know, using attention-based extinction is is mean. And when a child is tantruming that, you know, it, it feels cruel to remove that attention. And it was easier said than done for me before I had kids. Like, oh, yeah, just don't give attention to that. But when you're a mom and you're like, oh, man, that's like my kid struggling, it, there's definitely that emotional component to it as well. Yeah, I think that there are those occasions in which extinction is appropriate, but it always needs to be part of a bigger package, right? So what else are we teaching the kid? How are we teaching them to access what they want in a positive way, right? Mm -hmm. It shouldn't just be about taking away my attention. It should be about what other options am I giving you to learn these good pro-social ways to access those things. Um, I have kind of the same experience as you of, I have young kids. And so I'm starting to see what this feels like for the mom as the first time. And I will tell you, my new saying is I will not judge and I will give grace to everybody. Yes. (laughs) You know, it's, yeah, it's just one of those where I know there's practitioners out there who do still recommend extinction and I don't judge them either because there are contexts in which it works well. And if they're doing the right things of having um, not only extinction, but also teaching appropriate ways to access the reinforcer or the thing that child or whoever it is wants. Um, Maybe they're giving that for free sometimes. So you're not always requiring a response, but sometimes just, you know, starting off with giving really great quality attention to your kid for no reason at all. So I think as long as it's being done in a context of those other pieces, I'm not going to judge somebody for using extinction either. I just know for me and the teachers I support and my own family at home, it's better to think of those alternatives that don't require I be so strict to a protocol because the reality is even the adults get worn out sometimes. There are reasons that we don't follow the protocol. Yeah. Great point. Okay. So what are some alternatives that can be used? So there's It kind of depends on the function of the behavior, right? So the why. Um, But there are lots of really great what we call antecedent strategies that we can use to address behavior. So when we're talking antecedent strategies, what we're talking about is something that we're doing kind of proactively or before behavior even happens to help make it less likely to happen. So one of those I actually just kind of talked about, which was something known as non-contingent reinforcement. This is where we just give the individual that thing that they're motivated by for free. We don't expect anything of them for them to get that. We just on some sort of time-based delivery. So just because it's the time to give that thing, we give it to them. So I'll give another example because I just feel like examples really help. I have, like I said, I have two young kids and their attention, um, they just love attention, right? They're at that age where like parent attention is the best thing for them. 
So when I know I need to get my attention removed, so maybe I'm coming to do something like this where I'm going to talk and I need not to interact with them for a little while, or I'm going to cook dinner, I first give them 10 minutes of undevoted mom playtime. So instead of just taking away my attention and kind of depriving them of that, restricting it from them where they're going to be so motivated to get it, I fill up their little attention buckets ahead of time. So I give them 10 minutes where I'm not on my phone. I'm not trying to also deal with dinner. I'm just going to focus in for 10 minutes and we're going to give lots of good attention during that time. So that way, when I do have to remove myself, they have had a little bit of it. They're not so deprived. Um, and you can do that with all sorts of different kinds of functions. So if the you know individual is having problematic behavior because they're trying to escape we might program lots of extra breaks into their day. So rather than the kid having to, you know, engage in inappropriate behavior to get a break from the work, we're just giving them scheduled breaks throughout the day. Um, you can do it with tangible items, just making sure that they have scheduled times that they're getting to access their favorite things. Because again, the goal of non-contingent reinforcement is to lessen how motivated the individual is for whatever that reason for problem behavior is. Um, so that's one really great option. Those are some great examples. When you were giving the parent one, I was kind of laughing to myself because I I really like reading parenting books from different fields because I, I don't know, it's interesting to think about what different experts are saying and think about things behavior analytically. And literally every parent book, no matter what, you know, background they're from, gives some version of non-contingent reinforcement. And I like like, oh, look, that's an ABA thing. But they yes. have some version of that, like having mommy time, having no phone time, having whatever it is build the bucket, that's that's part of really every parenting protocol that you read is, is that idea of non-contingent reinforcement. Yeah. And I think we can apply that in school settings too. Um, sometimes it's a little bit harder for teachers to think about when in time they could do these things in their classroom. But, you know, we always have that conversation of, well, do we want to proactively have some time that's like one-on-one -on -one with staff? Or do we want to wait until the kid has a bunch of behavior that requires one-on-one -on -one attention from staff? Yeah. So I, you know, I think if we really, it can be feel a little overwhelming when you first hear that um, as a parent or a teacher of like, oh, I have to give all this time. I don't yeah. have enough time. But I think if you be intentional about it, that's where you see the biggest impact because it's like, it doesn't have to be a ton of time if you're making it really high quality. Yeah, that's a good point. I was observing in a middle school this fall and the teacher at the start of every class period, the first five minutes were turn and talk and they got to just free talk to their peers for no, you know, no reason, just get it out. And then they had their class. And she was like, once they started doing that, there was way less like, you know, uh, interactions between classmates during the class period. And I was like, that's again, like ABA in action. Love this. Yeah, that's a really great example. I love that one. So, okay, non-contingent reinforcement is our first alternative strategy. What's another one that you like to use? Yeah, another great one is one that really does draw from what we know about extinction, but it does it in a little bit of a different way. So this is something that's known as differential reinforcement. Traditionally, when people talk about differential reinforcement, they talk about it in the context of extinction. So they talk about making sure that the problematic behavior 
no longer gets the thing that the kid wants or the individual wants. But then they also talk about teaching an appropriate response to get that thing. So if we're sticking with our attention example, this might be um, the parent is no longer going to give the kid attention when they tantrum. But if the kid comes up to them and says, mommy, will you play with me? Then they are going to give that attention because that's a socially appropriate way to get the attention from the parent. So differential reinforcement just means some behavior is being placed on extinction and another behavior is being taught instead to serve that same purpose. That's sort of the traditional view. But what we know is that we don't always have to have that one part be extinction. We can just change the quality or the duration or something else about what the individual gets when the behavior is appropriate versus inappropriate. So I'll give you a kind of an example that would go along those lines. Rather than the kid who is tantruming getting a full-on extinction from the parent where they don't talk to them at all, they don't interact with them, maybe the parent goes over and offers them a couple cards that have coping strategies on them. And so the kid is throwing the tantrum and the parent says something like, remember, you can take deep breaths or use your fidgets. That's not extinction because they're giving some level of attention to the behavior, but it's really low energy type of attention. Then you can still be differential and have it be that the appropriate behavior gets you a really big response. So rather than just getting reminded about my coping strategies, if I nicely ask my parent to play with me, that might be when I get super fun mom who plays the Barbie doll game and does all the silly voices with it. So we can use the logic of differential reinforcement without it having to be an all or nothing kind of game. We can think of it more as like a continuum and look at giving access to different points of that continuum based on how appropriate or inappropriate the behavior is. And that feels much more palatable, but also functional, or I guess now we're using function a lot of different ways, but practical maybe in a class or in a home too, like in a, in a class setting when we can't really do full extinction, that just feels some, that's something that can be done more readily. Yeah. Especially in schools. Um, you know, I very rarely see a situation where no response is going to happen. That's just not really practical. So it's easier to give people a very set response where at least they feel like they get to do something. So a set phrase or, you know, like my example of a reminder of the coping skill options, um, that helps the adults, I think, not escalate and give a whole bunch of attention because they're at least giving something. What I found when I first started working in schools is if I told them to do nothing, the adults would do something on their own, right? I would say, just wait it out. And they they wouldn't wait it out. And then they would pick their own response, which was usually kind (laughs) of a big one. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) Yes. So this is a nice way of saying, okay, I understand that the reality is you're not just going to wait it out silently, but let's give some structure to how you're not waiting it out so that it pays off a little bit less. Um, I think escape extinction is like a great conversation for this too with schools. 
So true escape extinction is, you know, I give you a demand and you aren't getting out of that. You're going to do whatever the thing is I said for you to do. Well, there's a host of problems with trying to do that in schools. Usually you get lots of big behavior. Most of the time, the staff start to escalate along with the student as they're reminding them of the expectations, and it becomes a really um, negative experience for everybody involved. So if you're going to use differential reinforcement, what that might look like is if you say, I'm not doing this, I just say, okay, and kind of give you some space and come check back in in three to five minutes. But if you do do it, then I give you a longer break. So maybe you get a full five minute break with access to a preferred item. Yeah. So it's better. It pays off more for you to have done the work that was asked of you. But we don't have true extinction in place because we aren't sitting there repeatedly prompting you over and over again and holding to that same demand until you finish it. If you don't do it, we just move on with our schedule. It's like the perfect recipe for a massive power struggle if you yeah. kind of go down that route. Exactly. Yeah. And I always say if we get if you get in a power struggle, you lost. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It doesn't matter. There's literally no way as the staff or the parent that you have won a power struggle. Yes, yes exactly. Um, and yeah, that that idea that the quality break, the longer break, the break with a reinforcer, like that we have control of. You know, we don't have control of like forced compliance, but we can control access to preferred activities during a break. Yeah. And then the other one with escape, especially. So if you think about escape as a function, what we mean is that there's something that's non-preferred or aversive enough that we're motivated to get out of it, Right. And we can all think of things that we would want to escape as adults. Maybe a social gathering that, you know, I I lie and say my kid is sick so I don't have to go to it. Or an email I pretend like I didn't see of my boss asking me to do something. We all are motivated sometimes to get out of things. But I always ask myself the question when escape is the function, like what is making this such a bad experience for this person? right? Why are they so motivated to get out of this thing? And if we can kind of take that lens, it helps us think of other things that we could do that still understand escape as the function, but aren't extinction. So that might be things like offering choice, you know, letting the student or the um, child decide the order they're going to do things in, or, you know, how they are going to accomplish what they need to accomplish. Um, You can offer choice in like with my kids, you know, I'll offer them choice of like, are we going to dance on the way to the bathroom or would you rather I carry you there? So we're still going to get to the bathroom to brush our teeth and do our bedtime routine, but they're getting some autonomy in how they do it so that it's a little less aversive to get there in the first place. Um, Other things that you can do with um, thinking about the why, especially in schools, is like, does this kid have a relationship with the teacher? Have they had positive interactions together? Because if not, I can see why that person repeatedly presenting demands is more aversive than somebody that they know well and they trust and have that good relationship with. So if we can really think about the why something is so aversive, that helps a ton with programming for escape without having to do extinction. Yeah, in general, all these proactive strategies will hopefully just 
prevent the problem behavior before it even starts, which is, I think, the goal for everyone. Right. And so that's my last kind of alternative, which is just so much more teaching of appropriate skills than we really do. Mm-hmm. I think in schools and in life, we don't spend a lot of time directly teaching concrete skills to kids that helps them navigate these complex situations, right? And figuring out where you can proactively put extra teaching of those really good positive skills is the best way we can avoid extinction, is by just being able to give them other things that are easy for them to do because they've practiced it enough that it's not hard. Throwing a tantrum, most kids have practiced that a lot by the time they're five. Have they practiced nicely asking for things? Have they practiced telling a joke and getting somebody to respond to the joke? Have they practiced um, waiting their turn? You know, have we built in the amount of practice that we really need to, to give them the skills to avoid the problem behavior in the first place? Yes, I love, I'm like over here nodding aggressively. Um, I I think this is missing in a, such a huge way from like every behavior plan, you know, I mean, obviously yes. overgeneralization here, but you know, and how, and the the big misconception too on on how much practice there is. Um, when I talk to teachers, we always talk about like, hey, like how how long do you teach addition? You don't teach addition just one day. Like you teach addition for months, and there's so many opportunities for repetition and reinforcement. And then you hand hand a kid a break card one time, and because he doesn't use it, you're like, well, that didn't work. Like, well, did did we teach it? So I, I think that's such a great key point here is that that practice time. Yeah, and it's really hard in schools because I know that teachers are, the demands placed on teachers are insane. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, are you teaching to the grade level level standards and are they meeting these milestones? And so a lot of times when I talk to teachers about, well, how and when, when are we intensively teaching these skills? I know it, it's overwhelming at first. They're like, I have to teach that on top of all these other classes I, I have to teach. Um, And that gets even harder as we get into the secondary. I support a lot of middle school and high school students. And the demands on their time academically are just insane. And so I know it can feel like a really big ask. But whenever we have a kid who is, you know, repeatedly getting in trouble for problematic behavior at school, I do really take that time with the team to say, where and when are we teaching them something else? Because if we're not doing it really intentionally and often, we're not going to get the outcome we need. And then the other piece of that is what you said of how are they practicing? Because I think so often I hear, you know, a teacher will tell me like, well, yeah, they know how to ask for a break. I've told them that that's a choice. Well, just telling them isn't enough. We have to actually practice it and do it to get that Mm -hmm. to the point where it's really easy, you know, because if it's not an easy response, they can always default back to the problematic behavior. Yeah, the, and the time that the time struggle is so huge. I mean, you're so right. The, it, teaching is becoming a harder and harder job year over year. Um, but I think kind of what you said earlier, you know, you're going to be spending that time anyways if there is that meltdown or that, you know, big issue that you have to help with. So it's like kind of thinking like, well, okay, if we can spend this time up front, we're hopefully going to be preventing that time needed later. 
Right. And it's the same thing with parents at home. Um, my daughter really likes Bluey. I don't know if you've ever seen Bluey. Love Bluey. Love Bluey. Yeah. So there's an episode where Bluey's dad teaches her to like come over and put her hand on his hand when he's talking to another adult. And then he sort of puts his hand over her to like acknowledge that he heard her or that he knows she's there. Then he like finishes his conversation and then turns to Bluey to give her the attention. And my daughter actually was like, oh, that's cool. And I was like, yeah, you could do that. And then like, <laughs> a, a month went by and she had never done it. Right. And I was like, hey, why we talked about this, but you haven't done it. So I taught her it. We practiced. We did like a few practice trials. And then the next day we did a couple more practice trials. And now she does do it all the time. And it's oh, really yeah, it's so nice. It wasn't my idea. It was totally Bluey's dad's idea. But it was a reminder to me of like, oh, yeah, just her knowing that that existed, that, that's not enough to teach her how to do it. Like yeah. I did as the parent have to take a little bit of my time and energy to work with her on that so she knew how to do it. And then she's, my husband saw her doing it with me, and he was like, I love that. But it didn't just generalize right to him. He had to teach her too. He had to do a couple practice trials with her and then she started doing it with him more. And so just remembering that we have to be really intentional about teaching those kind of skills and not giving up if they don't work just because we've told them about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Great example. Billy, I could just like chat with you forever about this stuff. Um, so let's kind of wrap up or else I'll take your whole evening. Yeah. Um, so Okay, so our kind of three big strategies that you shared were non-contingent reinforcement, differential reinforcement, and then teaching these replacement behaviors, basically. So yeah. in general, and you've kind of you know t said this with each one, obviously these strategies are going to be preferable because they're easier to implement, but are they going to be – do you see them as being equally as effective? Yeah, I really think they are equally as effective because they're, again, they're still serving that idea of what's the function, right? And so they are more realistic and they're a little more forgiving in real life, but they're also just as effective. And with the last example of teaching those alternatives, that's even more effective than just extinction alone, right? If all yeah. we're doing is extinction, then whosoever behavior we're trying to change has to just start guessing at yeah. what's going to get them what they want versus that direct teaching that comes with it. Um, the ability to really build skills as people um, get older and encounter more complex problems. So I think about this all the time, you know, now as an adult navigating like difficult work situations, I'm like, man, what did I need to learn as a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old? so that I could be better at this, yes. right? I could have these hard conversations in a better way or whatever it is. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Can you share where people can go to learn more from you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I do have a YouTube channel. Um, it's, you know, kind of a newer endeavor, but people can check that out. It's called ABA-ish. So it's ABA, the letters, and then dash I. SH. Um, and so I post lots of videos on there for teachers and parents where I talk about all these kind of ideas. Um, so the name ABA-ish is because 
that's what I always say I'm doing, right? We have this really amazing science of behavior analysis, um, but when we're applying it in the real life, we're just, we're a little bit off from the exact science and we're kind of making it work how we can. Um, So that's probably the best place to find me is over on YouTube. Great. Well, we'll share that link in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.